before I pray, I learned of a, I received an announcement this morning, and um, Alicia and Ben Nisley um, had their little baby boy, and his name is Lucas Owen Nisley. He um, was eight, or is, eight pounds, 12 ounces, and he was born yesterday morning at 741 um, in the morning. So um, let's just thank the Lord for this new little acorn. And we, we call them an acorn because they're going to grow up to be oaks of righteousness, a planting um, of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So if you are um, able to kneel with me for prayer, will you do so? Lord, we are bowed before you to acknowledge and to declare that you are the light, mm -hmm. that all of us who have and are walking in darkness and who have ever walked in darkness have and know you have experienced a great light, mm -hmm. the light of Jesus Christ being mm -hmm. born. And we are so grateful that we're able to, um, to celebrate his um, birth, to just acknowledge and recognize what an awesome, incredible gift this is for all of us, for all of humankind, for all times. There's no greater gift. And we just acknowledge, Lord, that you are faithful and true. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and there is no God like you. You are the only true and living God, and we just praise you. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here this morning to, to, hear, from, to hear from your word. Lord, I pray that all of our hearts would be open before you, Lord, to receive the word that you have for us. And I just lift up Conrad to you, Lord, the one who you've called to deliver the word to us this morning. I just pray, Lord, that your, um, that your anointing, I just thank you that your anointing is upon him and that your anointing is on him, Lord, and that he will deliver the word that you have for us. I pray that he will do that, Lord, in, um, with your strength and with your power and with your courage, Lord. I pray against any... Um, and any scheme of man, Lord, any, um, and we just declare that no weapon formed against him will prosper, and that he will keep his eyes fixed and focused on Jesus, who has the word for us this morning. So I just commit him to you. Pray, Lord, for his voice, that you would give him strength in his voice and clarity in his voice, that he would have the mind of Christ as he is delivering this word this morning. And I just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart always be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name, brothers and sisters. Several weeks ago, I learned that Kenan, when we were in Boys Club, I think, Kenan, where are you at, Kenan? There you are. I think it was over at the train station with your dad that I learned that you are in martial arts classes and that you are becoming a fighter, a good fighter. And uh, so we talked about having you come up front and uh, illustrate for us um, when, I fought, when I preached the sermon last week, I fought the good fight, but in the mix of a full Sunday I didn't include you, and so I'd like you to come up this morning. And Noelani, I think, is your partner. Um, and so Noelani, what's that? There you are. And um, 
I want to I want to ask you a few questions, Kenan. So why don't you come on up and Noelani come on up as well. Um, last week I preached about Paul being a fighter. He said I fought the good fight, and he tells Timothy, who was a little older than you, but not a whole lot, to fight a good fight too. What what kind of fight do you think Paul was asking us to fight, Noelani and Kenan? Well, what do you think he might have been up to? Physical fighting? Vesticuffs? Or other kinds of fighting? Who are we fighting as Christians? Against Satan. Ah, all right. So against the dark powers. That's right. So this morning we're going to continue that theme a bit and just talk again about how Christ has overcome the dark, the dark powers. But I wanted you to, I love the fact that you're exercising. Do you know I exercise? You brought your boxing Didn't you, do you have a pair of these with you? Well, I'm going to get the best of you, man, in that case. All right, so what do you do? Show us what you do. I have my Boju ball over here. You're going to show us what you do. So show us what you do at martial arts training, Kenan. Oh, yeah, I forgot you do it upside down. I think you're probably a lot better getting on that than I am that way. Hey, you're using the wall. Oh, okay. Cannon, what does that do for you, getting up there on the ball like that? How does that help you? Gives you good balance. Helps you focus, doesn't it? Yep. Because when you get up there like that and are balancing, you need to keep your eyes focused on something, right? As followers of Jesus, we keep our eyes focused on who? Jesus. That's right. So that's good. There you go. And that helps you stay balanced, doesn't it? Very good. Can you show us something else you do at martial arts? Ready? You getting some help? Ready? I'm ready. Whoa. One leg. Let's cheer him on. Give him some, some come on, no, Kenan, try it again. Try it again. We're going to cheer you on here. There's a cloud of witnesses cheering all of us on. All right. Good job, Kenan. Give me a high five. Do you know there's a cloud of witnesses, Paul said, cheering us on in our race, in our fight? People who've gone on before us? Okay. One more. Noelani and Kenan, what else are you doing? You need my gloves, man. Ah. Cannon, you got a good coach. 
Good job. Thank you, Ken and Nolani. Thank you so much for that. You know, there, Ken, and there are powerful lessons in there, aren't there? About Paul talks about taking a stance. He talks about taking a stand when we fight the enemy. So thank you. Thanks for illustrating lots of those things to us this morning. Really, really appreciate that, both of you, Ken and, and Noelani. This morning's message brings us to the end of our series, Turning the World Upside Down, the, life, uh, the Messiah through the life and teaching of Paul which I began in the last, month, um, the last month of the summer, the last week of that month in August. I feel a little bit sad personally about coming to the end of this series. Uh, I'm not sure I preached a series that I have enjoyed more or felt like I personally gained more than I have from this one. I'd like to begin reading this morning, and the title of this message is, How Does It All End? I'm going to read this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, look down front for help. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you under the chair. And I'm going to read past, part of passages from 1 Corinthians 15 and also um, from 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Corinthians 15 is found where? Thank you, Colin. 933 in the Bible in front of you if you need a Bible. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 5, 12 to 19, 29 to 34, and 50 to 58. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, of course, from Christ on the road to Damascus, I passed on to you as of first importance. And here's, here's Christ crucified again and again and again. I said as he's marched across Asia and Europe, it's Christ crucified, Christ crucified, Christ crucified. And here he is again, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus' additional appearances. Verses 12 to 19. But if it be preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our teaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we then are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Some of you think I am redundant at times. Paul is redundant in repetitions. He wants to make this point. If you ain't raised, he ain't raised. It's as simple as that. And he repeats it over and over again. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then those, who also, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And now 29 to 34 of the same chapter. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers and sisters, surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, remember Ephesus? What did he confront in Ephesus? The, the dark powers that were embedded in the structures, not just in individuals, but in the structures of society, in the economic structures, in the political structures and religious structures, 
And that's where he comes face to face with the darkness of the enemy in a way that he had not before. He ends up probably in prison in Ephesus for six months, and we, out of that he writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, um, and Philemon. If, so in Ephesus I fought wild beasts. For merely, did I fight them for merely human reasons? If so, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, then let's party. Let's eat and drink, and for tomorrow we will die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. And then 50 to 58, as he concludes this chapter. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Paul reiterates some of this, adds a little bit of it in his writing to the Thessalonican church. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, which is where? Thank you, Colin. 957 in the Pew Bible. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and there he is again. That's his theme over and over again. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the trumpet of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the clouds. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Paul's view of Jesus throughout this whole series is very different from our modern post-enlightenment perspective of the scripture of Jesus and the Paul. Paul views Jesus through a thoroughly Jewish, through a thoroughly Jewish theological and historical lens. And he never wavers from that. For us, as 21st century Christians, we so clearly divide Old Testament from New Testament. Jewish theology from Christian theology, but Paul does not. You see, folks, Paul converts to the Messiah, but he doesn't convert to anything called Christianity. That will come later. The development of the church and Christianity will come later uh, more fully. But Paul remains thoroughly Jewish, and in doing so, understands the Messiah's first coming and the second coming to be fully part of the story of God that goes back to, eternity, that goes back to Eden, when we first sin. 
Jesus isn't an add-on to the Old Testament. He is the completion and fulfillment of this story that God has been writing. Remember, we've been talking all of the series about the eschatological story of God that begins with Eden, but more fully with Abraham, and then with Moses, and then with David, and then with the exile, and now with the Messiah. Over and over this, in, in all of his sermons, remember I said these sermons used to bore me to tears until I began to understand there was a story here that Paul couldn't stop talking about. A story that God had written that the Messiah was the fulfillment of. And so Paul places Christ's first coming to earth within this framework, but he also, in these passages, places the second coming in the same framework. So the first coming of Christ to earth is placed within the story of God we've been talking about. The second coming is likewise. The title for this movie in part comes from, and some of you um, who are a little bit older, and my students keep getting older, and so more, and more of them have never seen this movie that I show, which is kind of nice because um, they, uh, it's new to them. But in the story of the Truman Show, the film The Truman Show, the actor Jim Carrey plays a young man named Truman who grows up on an island in which he's the star of a reality television show. But he doesn't know his life is a show. He doesn't know that people are watching him. He thinks everybody is just like he is. He doesn't know that everybody else is an actor and that his life is being live-streamed to people all over the world. But from time to time, people will jump into the set. They'll fly in, parachute in, try to um, come in as actors to warn Truman about what's really going on. One of those persons is a young woman who falls in love with Truman and tries to help him understand that he's being manipulated by the producer, Christoph. One of her tactics in the story is to wear a pin that simply says, how will it end? Helping Truman to think about the fact that he's part of a story, perhaps, that he doesn't realize he's part of. In a similar way, Paul is holding this question of how will it all end up in front of a Corinthian church that has only been three or four years removed from their pagan culture or from their pagan way of life, but who now have been rescued from the bondage of that idolatry. And remember, we talked about that idolatry. We talked about that darkness, that it was full of pagan worship, children were sacrificed, people were in bondage to terrible things that happened under the idolatry of those pagan cultures. But they have found good news now in the Messiah, who has overcome those powers once and for all, and has forgiven their sin as well. They have been resurrected by the the dead, buried, and resurrected Christ himself. But within the three or four years of learning this teaching, the Corinthians have already gotten sloppy with the fundamental theological point that Paul is driving home to them. They are believing that although Christ rose from the dead, they will not. That is, they, they believe they will live forever, but they will live forever as they are. They will not, they will not experience a bodily resurrection after death, they will just continue as they are. And this came from Greek philosophy or from even the Sadducees' teaching on, the, the fact that on their belief that there was no resurrection. Whatever the case, they had given up the belief that followers of, Messiah, of the Messiah will, after death, experience a resurrection ourselves. In other words, the Corinthians have answered the question, how will it end, very differently than did the gospel story that Paul was giving his life for. Paul is agitated. He is adamant. He is probably angry in the only way that Paul can be because changing the end of the story, says Paul, changes the entire story. 
Changing the end of the story makes the entire story of Abraham, Moses, David, exile, Messiah, all null and void. You can't willy-nilly, he says, change the story of God with whatever ending you want to put in its place. Because doing that will undo the earlier parts. The ending makes all of the difference. The ending reflects the truth of the entire story. The entire story is built on the ending itself. That God, following our sin in the Garden of Eden, has been on a rescue mission to deliver the world and human beings from darkness so that our sins and our own darkness can be forgiven. Amen? That's why we're here this morning. We're not here because we feel like hanging out with each other. That's great. We're not here because we're looking for something else to do in the morning. We could have been somewhere else. We are here because, brothers and sisters, we fundamentally affirm this truth that Christ died and resurrected, resurrected again so that we too can have life. Amen? And that life extends to the entire world. And we'll get to that in a moment. But as I have been preaching, as Paul has been preaching, there is only one way for this to happen. That was for the Messiah to experience the death and resurrection on the cross, to defeat the dark powers and their authority. Last week we looked at Acts 26, and I saw Paul's description to Agrippa, King Agrippa, of his travels on the road to Damascus where he met Jesus, differently than I had ever seen them. He says this, that Paul says to Agrippa, look, this is what Jesus said to me. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And I reiterated, reiterated the point that we have tended as evangelicals to say, Christ died and rose from the dead in order that I may for, be forgiven of my sins. That is true, but that is not the only good news. The good news, and, and Jesus puts it first, is that the world is... is is the world's darkness is overcome by his resurrection and by his light. Then we can be forgiven of our sins. If the end of the story is wrong about the resurrection, then the parts of the story that precede it are wrong too. And if that is the case, says Paul, we might as well have two options as followers of Jesus. Be known as the most miserable people around because we have a meaningless, lifeless theology a joyless theology that is good for this life and this life alone, but has no connection to the future. Or he says, let's just go out and make the most of it. Let's just go have one party after another. I think as Christians and as a church, we have tended to sometimes think those are our two options. When we look around at ourselves, sometimes we are those people who live, seem to live a joyless, lifeless, hopeless theology. And sometimes we're the people who've forgotten about our theology and just live in the present, forgetting that there is a future, just having one party after another. But those are not our options. The one option is this, that Christ has overcome the darkness for us, and that we are called as agents of the resurrection to be agents of the res resurrection to our neighbors and to our families and to our coworkers and to those God has placed around us. The dark powers have become have been overcome. We have, of all people, the most reason for hope and joy and peace and confidence and courage, which is why in Romans 8, Paul can cry out, we are more than conquerors. We are more than overcomers 
through the one who loved us and gave himself for us. As I've noted in this series, Paul on the road to Damascus is smitten by the love of Messiah. He is driven by the love of Messiah. He comes face to face with the love of God towards him in a way that he had never understood before. And from then on, he marches across Asia and Europe, consistently proclaiming this one message, Christ crucified. Why? And again, I'm repeating myself. Because what happened on the cross ensured that the trajectory of God's story was now going to be guaranteed. The rescue project that God had begun when we sinned would be completed and all things would be made right in Christ Jesus. The dark powers have been defeated once and for all. Everything else that you and I face, every illness, every challenge, every pain, every bit of suffering, every difficulty, every disappointment, is now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, light and momentary. That everything we face, every piece of bad news we face, is light and momentary. And this comes from a guy who was shipwrecked three times, who was regularly beaten, stoned, hated, abused, assaulted, and more and more and more. He knows of which he speaks. This is light and momentary stuff, Paul says. All of it pales in comparison to the glory that awaits us in the new heaven and the new earth. But this glory, he says, is only possible if we believe that we are resurrected ourselves from earthly bodies to spiritual bodies, from mortality mortality to immortality. The problems and difficulties and suffering that you and I face are small potatoes. Sorry, Steve, I just thought of that now, but small peas, small whatever. Because of the death and resurrection of Christ that has overcome the authority of the dark powers to send you and I to an eternal and never-ending existence in hell and darkness. Yes, we will die a physical death if Christ does not return, but he has turned that death into a doorway to eternal life. Isn't that amazing? The one power that the dark powers had before the cross was to condemn us to hell. That's the one thing they had. Our earthly death was to be followed by an eternal death in which we would be captured by Satan and his forces for eternity. But the death and resurrection of the Messiah took away the power of the dark forces to do that to us any longer. Amen? Amen. It's gone. If we know Jesus, all that is left for us to face is an earthly death. And that earthly death now is simply the door to the glory that awaits us. That death has been turned into a door to the glory that awaits us, and everything else is light and momentary compared to the eternity that awaits you and me. But all of this is good news if only the resurrection of Christ is true and remains part of the story of Abraham and Moses and David and exile and Messiah. Paul is quick to tell the Corinthian church that they have messed with the story. And they've messed with it in such a way that it's fundamentally a nun story anymore. What has happened here in in this context is that the students are telling the teacher what is true. The children are telling the parents what is right. The sheep are telling the shepherd where the fold is. Or the church members are telling the preacher what is true. But of course, Paul would have none of it. The dark powers did not readily intimidate him at this point in his life anymore. Remember, he's cast everything else aside. Paul has left go of everything that was important to him, and he's on a march with his hands attached to nothing except to Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Paul moves beyond correcting the theology of the Corinthians, and then in these last passages, as I conclude, he begins to tell the story of how it's going to end. Not only that it's going to end in the resurrection of our bodies, but he gives a few more details, but very general details. As modern people, again, we have developed this idea of heaven and the return of Christ that simply doesn't fit what the early church understood or what Paul himself understood. It doesn't fit the eschatological story that God began in Eden and has continued through the coming of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 are not somehow add-ons to Paul's theology. They're not somehow disconnected from everything that happened earlier in those letters. But they're Paul's way of continuing to say that the coming of Jesus Christ is how the story will end. Or, for Paul, how the story really begins. Paul thought not so much about the last days of the earth's existence as he did about the first days of that ultimate reality in which Christ returns from heaven for us, where he restores the earth and all things come together in the Messiah once and for all time. Remember, way back at the beginning of the series, we talked about how heaven meets earth in the Messiah, that heaven had met earth in the Old Testament in the tabernacle, then in the temple, then in the Torah, and now in us. The wonderful thing about what Paul believed and teaches is that heaven will one day fully meet earth. Heaven will one day fully meet earth. And when heaven meets earth, folks, it becomes a new earth. This earth that we live, on is, live in is changed. Our theology somehow teaches us that heaven is out there somewhere, in the sky somewhere, but that's not Paul's understanding. For him, heaven is simply the realm of God. The realm of God. And that realm of God, at the end of time, is going to fully visit the earth. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth where Christ will not just meet us, but he will meet and restore all of creation to what it was at the beginning. Heaven is not just a place up there, out there. Heaven is God's realm where God reigns. What happened on the cross is that Christ overcame the dark powers and they lost their ultimate authority to send you and me to hell. Indeed, Paul shouts, death has lost its sting. Amen? That's reality. I remember a good friend of mine 10 years ago saying to me, I don't get it. I don't get it why we as Christians, of all people, are the ones who try, like everyone else, to extend our lives. Somehow thinking that this is as good as it gets. This ain't as good as it gets. This isn't even close, Paul says, to as good as it gets. Right? What, 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 what is coming for us in Christ Jesus is something beyond what we have ever, ever imagined. When you and I are followers of Jesus and we move from death to life and from darkness to light, we are in the, in the scripture called a new creation. Remember those passages? We are called a new creation in Christ. Do you see that when you come to Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to follow you, that you are being made into a newness like all of creation will be made into a newness. You're just ahead of the game. We're just ahead of the game when we come to Jesus, that we are being made new like everything is going to be made new when heaven meets earth. Jesus, Paul says, was the first fruit. Jesus was the first one who became new. But when we give our lives to him, the Holy Spirit initiates a newness within us 
that reflects what is ultimately going to occur in all of creation when heaven meets earth. So when heaven meets earth in you, when you give your life to Christ, so heaven will meet earth and all will become new. This means that as new creations of Christ who are coming ahead of the new heaven and the new earth, we are called to be active agents, not passive. We do not passively receive God's grace. We're not just passive recipients, like we get, you know, Christmas dinner, someone gives us ham, we just eat it. No, we are active agents. Grace is an active thing. Grace engages us in what God is up to. And so as new creations, we are actively engaged in bringing newness to the people and the world around us. That's our calling. That's the mission of this congregation, to bring newness of life to the world around us that is still living in darkness. It is our responsibility to be agents who overcome the darkness and bring light in our workplaces, in our homes, in our congregation, in our marriages, and in this world. We are invited this morning because of the resurrection of Christ to join Christ, to join the Messiah in overcoming the darkness with the light of Christ. If this is true, then how do we approach death? And I just want to add a couple of comments as I end. Yesterday, Heidi and I attended the celebration service, and it really was, for um, Tina Wenger's husband, uh, father, Paul Weaver. And I, I've been to lots of memorial services. I've led lots of memorial services. But there was something about the way Paul had prepared for death that made it just seem like we were, I don't know, like there was nothing particularly unusual about what, we were, what was happening there. It was, just, it was just kind of natural. It was just kind of... Um, it was, I'll describe it a little bit like this. Paul had provided, he had prepared the entire message, he had prepared the entire service, but it was a short service, and it wasn't about Paul. What Paul did was he left instructions for his family about how to prepare for death. It was amazing. And they weren't, it wasn't morbid. It was like, this is how to live your life. And when you live your life this way, when you get to death, all you have to do, he said, is die. Because you've taken care of everything else. He prepared hymns for his family, both before the service and during the service, that told him where he was now and what he was up to and the joy and peace and life that he was experiencing. He comforted them from afar. You had the sense as you listened and were part of that service that Paul understood that the veil between earth and heaven is very, very thin. That heaven is not out there somewhere, but heaven is just over there. And as I often tell people who are dying, Jesus will take your hand like he does now and simply lead you across. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. He didn't forsake you now. He won't forsake you then either. You, Paul understood clearly that death was the door to the greatest experience of life ever. Often when I have been at a burial service reading Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15 um, about death has been swallowed up in victory, where, O oh, death, is your sting, where, O oh, death, is your uh, victory, I've, I've almost kind of stepped back from those words, almost afraid to repeat them because, because they're powerful words. They're saying, I've got no fear of death. Death has lost its sting. The dark powers have given up. Or they've not given up, but they've been overcome. And I, I think I've stepped back a bit because I've almost been afraid of those powers in saying that. Paul had no fear. We need no fear. 
Because Paul knows those powers have ultimately been overcome. And so we can shout from the loud, we can shout from the housetops as loud as we want. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? As agents of God's new creation, who are helping to bring that about in the lives of other people, we are part of another creation, a new creation in heaven and earth that is coming. We are people who get to declare the good news that the light has overcome the darkness and that Christ has forgiven us and once and for all made us right with God for eternity, forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, what can we say? What can we say except thanks be to God who gives us the victory through you? What can we say except thank you for taking on the powers? Because we, we got to admit we still fear them. We got to admit we still have days when we are intimidated by those powers. But thank you that you, in spite of the, the, the tears you shed, in spite of the blood you shed in Gethsemane, walked that journey to fulfill the end of the story in the only way it, it could end. In the only way that it could end with good news, you were faithful to that good news. And I pray for each one of us. I pray for those this morning who have never given their life to you, that they would just simply turn their eyes to you this morning and say, Jesus, I, I, I give my life to you. I want to be sure that my life forever is in you and that I am with you forever. And for those of us who've gotten careless with our lives and even our theology, who've spent too much time focused on this life and not enough remembering that we are people who are a new creation, who've overcome the dark powers through Christ, that we're agents of your redemption in the lives of others, or who've just lived a life of a Christian life that's just lifeless and joyless and meaningless. Jesus, reignite us this morning. Give us a new understanding that's not just in our heads, but that's deep within our hearts, that we have that same power of your Spirit that overcame death. You have promised us within us. May we ever live as people of the gospel who, who know this good news, who live this good news, and are transforming agents of that gospel for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.
29. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Joel 3.16 The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. God. The one who voluntarily laid down his life to take on the punishment for our sins. For the sins of the whole world. Jesus, the Lion of Judah. The one with the power to banish all fear. The one who watches over you with a fierce, protecting love. The one who is judge of the living and the dead. What is this? God has given us his son to be both lion and lamb. As a lamb, he has taken on God's wrath, bearing it away so that we can experience God's mercy. As the lion, he stands in judgment. He stands in victory. He has made a way for our sins to be forgiven, for death's power to be rolled away. Let us consider what Jesus has done. Let us lift our praises, our voices in praise. Let us worship the innocent, sacrificial Lamb of God, who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let us stand in awe of the fierce, victorious Lion of Judah, who is reigning from his throne, protecting us, purifying us. What is this? The Lamb that was slain. By dying, Christ shows us the lengths to which God's love will go. The Lion of Judah. By rising, he shows us the heights to which God's power will stretch. Let us remember that God has exalted Jesus. Who is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb that was slain? To the highest place of all, and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What is this? This, this is, is love. love.
we believe. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Amen? Yeah, yeah. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one. Who can stop? Sing it. It's been a very powerful service so far. I really feel God's presence is here. At this time, we're going to have an anointing service for Conrad. I'll just give you a little bit of the order of the service. First, Conrad will share. Then we will have a time of confession. And then a time of praise. And then a prayer for Conrad and Heidi. Then his anointing. And then Conrad will open it up to the congregation for anyone desiring anointing. And this doesn't just have to be for physical healing. Uh, confession, as I was preparing for this, I felt confession and praise are a big part of anointing and healing in the Bible. Uh, confession brings us to a point of surrendering to God's will. Confession releases God's power. Anyone will be able to share personal confessions or confessions as a church. Also, praise plays a big part in God working miracles. In 2 Chronicles 20, when a great army was coming against the Israelites, uh, they sought out God, and God told them to worship and praise to win the battle. And that's exactly how they won the battle. It, it seems totally backwards from what we humanly think. And then in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were in jail, what did they do? They could have been very discouraged and down, but they were praying and worshiping God, and look what a great miracle happened. So at this time, I would invite Conrad and Heidi and the ministry team and board members and their spouses and those that were asked to pray to come forward at this time to surround Conrad and Heidi.
I want to thank um, Sharon. All, many of you know my brother Greg. Most of the world knows my brother Greg. But you don't all know his dear family. And his wife Sharon is here. Greg has been here a number of times. And his daughter Hope, who is going to be student teaching at Belleville Mennonite School um, this spring, is here. And Katie. And so, come on up. So thank you for being here. And I'll um, share about some others in a moment. All right, at this time, uh, there's mics available. We're going to have a time of confession. Uh, it can be personal confession or confession as a church. So there's a mic up here. If you want to talk, it'll be passed around, and there's going to be a mic from the congregation there. So feel free to share. We'll spend a couple minutes here on, uh, on confession. A little easier for the rest of you to share. I guess I would just like to ask forgiveness for myself of maybe being selfish or doing things on my own and not really asking God uh, direction or I've probably maybe hurt some people and I would just really ask for confession for that. Or I would ask for forgiveness for that. I just ask, Lord, for your forgiveness for the many times that I failed to realize your resurrection power and what you can do. Father, I confess um, um, when I've um, forgotten the, the depth of your power and um, when I have put myself above, or someone else above you, when I've been my own idol, God, I ask for your forgiveness, and I ask that you um, write yourself, and you would um, help me to write and prioritize you. I confess that, uh, Lord, there have been many times where I have um, have believed lies about myself related to what I think the enemy has wanted me to believe um, about who I am and what I'm able to do and capable of. And I receive your love and your word that you have spoken over me, Lord.
I would like to ask forgiveness as a church, how we may have hurt people. How as a, as a church, we have been, we have done stuff on our own strength and really not sought you. And for people that might have left here and been hurt by the church because we didn't act in a godly way. And if there's anything we're doing wrong now, Lord, forgive us and show that to us. Okay, at this time, we'll go into a time of praise. I think praise is a big part in God doing miracles and releasing his power. So we'll just uh, let it open a couple minutes here for you to give some praise to God. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that hears our confessions and that you um, are there and continually forgive us when we have done wrong. I give you praise for your forgiveness. I praise you because you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Praise you, Jesus, that your mercies are new every morning. Just compassionate, long-suffering. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.
Awesome God, we just thank you for your creation and how everything is made. Creation was made for us to enjoy. All the animals and the different habitat and the trees and how complex our body is made and intricate we are. It just gets mind-boggling for me to think how great you are, O oh God. And in Psalms 139, it says, you had a plan for us before we were born. And we just thank you for how great you are. You're our king, shepherd, teacher, strong tower, everlasting. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We just thank you so much, God, for all you've done and for giving us life and eternity. On earth, it's just a mist here, and life will be over, but in heaven, we have years of enjoyment, Lord, and we just thank you so much for that. It's a little like a blueprint. Uh, when you see a blueprint, you don't really see the whole picture, and we just see a blueprint here, but it'll be so awesome when we see the real thing, Lord. Thank you, Lord. At, uh, now at this time, uh, we will be going into prayer and anointing. There will be a song. Anybody should feel free to leave or stay as your schedule allows. And if anybody... What? Oh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, it's time for Conrad to share here. Sorry. In February 2000, I was ordained lead pastor of this congregation, and those of you who were here then know that within several months, I was diagnosed with papillary thyroid cancer, uh, cancer that's typically pretty treatable, but that followed me for three years and multiple surgeries and uh, uh, almost a lifetime limit of radioactive iodine treatment. In 2003 of December, I was clean, so the surprise of my physician, and I've always credited um, and thanked God for intervening mercifully. For the last 16 years, everything has come back clean. Uh, there have been a couple of suspicious lymph nodes that were negative. Um, but suddenly, to our surprise, last week on the 19th, we got news as I was visiting, we were visiting with Dr. Ball, that um, the marker for thyroid cancer had jumped for the first time in 16 years. And as a result, I have chest uh, a number of CT scans next uh, tomorrow at 9.20. This came as a surprise, assuming that the disease was behind us. And yet, I had always assumed that the uncanny way in which I was ordained and then immediately experienced the diagnosis um, was somehow related to the dark powers and uh, a response from them. This year has been a, growth of, a year of growth and transformation in our congregation. The indicators of health are in many areas. Couples and families making decisions, and some more just very recently, to move to town in order to be near the church and to participate in the church. Um, new people joining continued growth in babies and children, young adults who are seeking if not yet committing, um, financial stability in our giving, the unity in the building project, a ministry team that again I saw this week just rises up prophetically. And this team is a shield of faith uh, around us and for which we are so gratefully. They are discerning, they're, they're prophetically gifted. Um, and a church board that is really seeking to fulfill God's mission. In the midst of this movement of God's spirit, it's no wonder or surprise that the dark power should respond, especially when I've been preaching about them Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, repeating that ultimately their power has been won by the cross. N.T. Wright, as I've noted, said Paul found out in Ephesians that um, the dark powers will respond, and when they do, they don't fight fairly. 
In addition, I have faced those powers that felt like every, all through this year at every level of my leadership, whether it was the college, the congregation, or the conference. Too long I have allowed those powers to intimidate me, to um, keep me in fear. But the only thing we have anymore from those powers is fear, is intimidation, our threats, our lies, deception, and so on. But they have lost their ability to condemn us to eternal death because of the crucified Christ. Throughout my previous illnesses, I have always um, requested and offered, been offered anointing. But I don't know, I maybe there was, I don't remember, a time when I involved the congregation as a whole. And I was going to do the same thing this, this year, just have a quiet, this time, a quiet anointing. But as my week developed, I sensed the Lord instructed me to put this experience within the framework of what I've been preaching this fall and within an apostolic framework that God has been leading us in as a congregation, and to invite you to join me. Since on an apostolic journey, attacks by the dark powers are on the leadership are likely to happen, but they're likely to happen to all of us on that journey. And so we're going to have a time of anointing and prayer for all of you who would wish that this morning. I am not one who believes that every illness is necessarily an act of the dark powers, nor do I believe that, nor do I believe that we are always healed of our illnesses. If Christ doesn't return first, we'll die of something. And more than ever in my life, I am at peace with submitting my life to the Lord's will for me. But I also desire to be available to him, to my family, to the congregation, to whatever mission and calling he has for me. I'm also, and some of you are aware of this, um, and I just want to thank my cousin Marcia for being here, who's on the staff of Lancaster Conference, and her husband Dale. Marcia, more than anyone, she doesn't know I believe this, but more than anyone in our family, extended family, reflects the spirit of my grandfather, Erie who was with us on my ordination, um, and Pap um, was a model for me, and so I'm so thankful, Marcia, that you're, that you're here. Um, but I, I don't talk much about this in the congregation, but at Lancaster Conference, I'm in a strategic place right now to help the bishop, to overhaul the bishop board model, leading that task force to make the conference as a whole more strategically apostolic. And I just ask for your prayers for that as well, because I think that too is shifting things, not just for our congregation, but for the church as a whole. While the dark powers may see this kind of test result as a vindication for the ways they, uh, that, that for, for ways that I have offended them, the verse that continually comes to my mind when I think of that is simply this, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I'm grateful this morning for all of you who are here, um, for the ministry team and the way you've responded this week, for the board. Um, for Darlene Landis, who is a faithful prayer warrior for, for us, for Heidi and I, a discerning servant of the Lord who hears the Lord's voice. Um, Andy Lloyd, who again, a prophetic gift in our ministry team. Steve Keener, who I've learned to love over the last couple of years as he was chair of the board and who again hears from the Lord. And as I've mentioned, my cousin Marcy as well, and, and Sharon and the girls. I also ask that we pray for Heidi and have an anointing for her this morning because, as you know, she has, deals with headaches that I have no doubt are related as well. It consistently deals with those this week. It was a very difficult week for her. And so we want to pray for our marriage, for, um, for our health, for our strength. Again, we do it always submitting to the Lord, knowing that his plans and purposes are always good no matter what they are for us, and that anything we experience here is momentary compared to the glory that awaits us. Okay, at this time we will move into prayer and anointing. Anyone should feel free to leave or stay as your schedule allows. 
And if anybody else from the congregation wants to come up and join in prayer, you're welcome to. So we'll have the song now, and then we'll go to the prayer time. I asked the Lord for a word for you. And what came to me was Luke 4, the last half of that chapter. I had no idea what it was, and I don't know if you know, but I'll briefly tell you that 
Jesus was overcoming the darkness. He was casting out demons. He healed Peter's mother of a high fever. And quickly this news went throughout the town. And by evening of that day, there were many people who were bringing their loved ones to Jesus. He laid his hands on them and healed them all. I just feel that this is a word from the Lord God and Heidi. It's his affirmation to you that he is here and he will fight the darkness that has overcome you. And he wants us to bring you, Con and Heidi, to him today so that he can lay his hands on you and heal you. We just give God the honor and praise for all that he's going to do this morning through our faith in him. So, Father, I just praise you that you have no equal, that there is no one more powerful, no one with more wisdom and knowledge. There's no one else, Father, who hears and answers our prayers. There's no one else, Father, who can heal and conquer the darkness. There's no one else, Father, who has our names written on the palm of his hands and has plans for us to prosper us. There's no one else, Father, who would invite us to come today to bring Kananadi to you, Jesus. For healing. So Jesus, we just ask now for Con and Heidi as we bring them to you that you would lay your healing hands on them. And all the darkness that's been in their lives, that you would just overcome this darkness by the power of your blood. So that they will be able to accomplish the purpose for which you have called them to. And Jesus, I remember that you have placed in each of your children that same power that you have. And so I take authority and I speak to these diseases this morning in the name of Jesus. And I say, be gone in Jesus' name. I speak to and take authority over the cancer that is reawakening in Con's body in hopes to take him down. I pray, Jesus, against the Parkinson's disease that is so wanting to cripple and destroy Conrad. And I pray against the migraine headaches that Heidi so often deals with and is not able to keep her schedules. Father, I say be gone in Jesus' name. Enough. And I break all this darkness off of Con and Heidi and I'm casting it under your feet, Jesus. And you tell us that you wait for us to do this. And when we do, you crush the enemy's head with the heel of your foot. And so I thank you, Jesus, that that's what's happening now. I just ask that every cell in their bodies would be whole and pure and life-giving, that they would be able to accomplish the purpose for which you have them here at this time and in this place. I just praise you and thank you, Father, in advance for what you're going to do for us. Father, as in the passage you gave, the people were just amazed at Jesus' power. And I praise it, pray that you would amaze us and overwhelm us with hearing and answering our prayers for healing for them. In Jesus' name, I pray.
Fine, Red and Heidi, I have a message for you as well, I think, from the Lord. And um, as I was, when you texted me, I just said, Lord, I don't know how to pray. Teach me how to pray. And so what came, first of all, was this sickness will not end in death. It's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And when I looked up that passage, it was obviously the passage of Lazarus. But what struck me the most this time as I reread that passage was three times, three times it talks about the love of God. And I was just overwhelmed by that. In verse 3, it says, The sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And he, they didn't even tell him his name. <laughs> they just assumed that Jesus would know the one that he loved was sick. And so may you receive that. The one Jesus loves is sick. And we're telling Jesus, we're coming to Jesus today saying, Jesus, the ones you love are sick. And then... Jesus appeared to them. He appeared and he rolled the stone away and he took off the grave clothes and he set them free. And so in the name of Jesus and by your authority, Lord Jesus, the one you love is sick. And we're bringing them before you and we're asking you to roll away the stone and to take off the grave clothes. And we're asking this so that your glory may be seen in Jesus' name. Uh, earlier you just, you had mentioned then also like you, Conrad, you wrote in your, uh, in the bulletin here, you said, while the dark powers have been defeated by Christ's death and resurrection, the one weapon they have, they have retained is fear, intimidation, deception, manipulation, confusion, and chaos, and we should expect them to use these tools. So when those tools are trying to be used on you or us no Isaiah 61 10 I will rejoice greatly in the Lord my soul will exalt in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation he has wrapped me with robe of righteousness and as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And just reading that, um, in my mind's eye, I just was taken back to when all of my kids were born and they were cleaned up and they were given to me. And they were wrapped in this blanket that was like so tight. And I remember even trying to unwrap it, it was like super hard to do. And as many times as I tried, I could never get it that wrapped like that ever again because it was wrapped by a professional that was their job to wrap, wrap those babies as tight as they could to make it feel like home so know that you are clothed that you're wrapped that you're decked and adorned by a professional gonna thank you so much that you are a professional. I thank you that you are God. And I thank you that you hold the keys to every single thing in this world. And we thank you for that, God. And we just stay claim over these test results.
And we thank you, God, that you are in control. We thank you for your saving grace and your mercy. And the authority that you've given, given the disciples to go heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, and to cast out demons. We thank you that that, that was a charge for us. And we just take claim over these test results and we see, say, be gone in Jesus' name. We declare Colossians 2 over this, that, that, that this was a spectacle to be made about these, these, that this spectacle will reverse to glorify you, God, in Jesus' name. Colossians 2 all over this, in Jesus' name. We just thank you, God, and we just continue to pray uh, that um, you were just be glorified. We thank you. Uh, Conrad and Heidi, this morning you know, I had um, I'd asked the Lord how, how to pray for you. And um, this prayer came to me largely during worship this morning, so I'm just going to pray it out as it came to me as best I can. So, Father, uh, this morning we acknowledge that uh, we live in a fallen world, and we acknowledge our own sins and how they have contributed to that fallenness, Lord. And we acknowledge how the darkness and the oppression of the enemy creeps at our doorstep and hovers sometimes like a drone over our heads. But even greater than that, Lord, we acknowledge this morning your shed blood and your redemptive power over all those things. And so, Lord, it's by that blood and that blood alone that we come boldly before the throne this morning and proclaim your healing, Conrad and Heidi. We proclaim your numbers to return to where they were. We pro proclaim the tests to be negative. Proclaim the Parkinson's to retreat. We proclaim the migraines to leave in Jesus' name. For your glory, Jesus. Amen. Uh, David prophesied millennia before the death of Christ that not one of his bones would be broken. And there at the cross, when the soldiers thought that they were in charge, Pilate thought that he was in charge. The religious leaders thought that they were in charge. You were in charge. And you proclaimed, Jesus, that God, that not one of Jesus' bones would be broken. And that even in that place of, of brokenness and, and pain, you were in charge. And that you ultimately set the limit. And so we just proclaim that now. Conrad and Heidi, um, we, we come this morning, we were praying uh, for what we believe and what we want to have happen in your life. We thank you for that. We acknowledge that um, you are God. And so we commit 
the lives of Conrad and Heidi to you for your care, for your love, um, for your support during this difficult journey. I pray that they might feel surrounded by your love. And so we submit and commit ourselves to your will in this. Uh, we know what we want, but we submit ourselves to you. So I pray healing and hope of Hunt, Con, Heidi, and Conrad during this time. In the name of Jesus, may they experience that healing and hope. Lord, or this morning, we cannot do nothing ourselves. It says there in Psalms, whatever we do won't prosper unless you're in it. And we just pray for your healing power to be with us here this morning. It's nothing we can do. We would like to, but it's you, Lord. And just help us to look to you and put our faith in you. And, and we pray that you would just bring Conrad's levels down. And Heidi has been struggling with migraines for years, Lord. We just pray that with your power, you may heal them, Lord. And we pray that just through the healing, like your kingdom may be fathered, Lord, that they may tell others and that through, the, through this experience here, your name would be honored and glorified. Lord, and, and more may come to you through their experience here, Lord. And, and you, you didn't promise life always roses, and as these trials come, but you did promise us strength to get through them, Lord. You did promise us hope, Lord. So we anoint Conrad in order to symbolize that Conrad is being set apart for God's special attention and care. We are anointing with frankincense to show this significance. Anointing also serves as a symbol of our prayers going to the Father. We are praying to a great God. We are praying to a powerful God, an ever-present God. The darkness is overcome. We are praying to a God whose light never goes out. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, a God who will never leave us. In James 5, it talks about the anointing. An anointing is a three-way partnership. It's God and the church and the individuals here. And a lot of times when, Con when Jesus healed, it was through physical touch. And we have done that as we prayed for them. So at this time, at this time, Conrad, I anoint you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Heidi, I ask the Lord to touch you in the name of the Father. In the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen.
time, we want to invite any of you to come forward for prayer and anointing if you would like anointing. And I'm going to ask those who are prayed for us if you would stay up here if you're able to, if you have time. There was something really powerful about being surrounded. And so we'd like to surround you. Um, at least three or four people around everyone who uh, would like prayer. And so if you would like prayer this morning for something physically you're experiencing, for healing, um, for something emotionally, relationally, you don't have to share it with us. You can if you want. But I'm just going to ask if we would spread out, if you're able to stay, those who are up here, and if, you, and if you're willing to do this, we would just kind of spread out across the front and just invite you, if you wish to come for prayer, to do that um, this morning. Um, and so, is, Kate, do we have a song? Or could that song? Yeah. So let's stand together and just invite you. Um, as the song is playing, you're welcome to stay praying where you are. You're welcome to be dismissed. Or you're welcome to come forward for prayer. Uh, we would certainly love to gather around you and pray this morning. Again, trusting God for his work and knowing he's working among us. And we just want to say thank you to all of you who prayed where you were and those who gathered around us this morning. Thank you.
Mom. 